You're listening to episode 411 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof, fresh off the soundstage at the American Helicopter Museum. I actually had to tell someone that to stop flying their drone over an airport today. Wow, wow. Yeah, so you've got a TV crew in there using uh, the museum as, a, like you said, as a stage for the program. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, I, and, I, and I think it's safe to um, say that now that it's over, I can talk about it, is um, it was Pawn Stars on the road, which so I got to meet Rick and Chumley and spent the last week doing that. So it's been interesting. But literally, I walked outside this morning and the video crew, all of a sudden I heard a drone flying overhead and I work at an airport. So <laughs> I politely walked up to the two guys flying said drone and I said, uh, what are you guys doing? And they promptly said, well, we actually talked to the airport and we talked to, right, and they are aware that we're doing this and we are to keep it in. I'm like, okay, good. And they actually... I have to admit, we're um, kind of happy that someone actually, they knew enough that they were happy that someone actually said something. Yeah, so. sure. I can understand that. Yeah, because if nobody ever said anything, then you know, the conclusion you would draw is that you know, nobody cares, nobody's, nobody's watching, nobody's doing anything yeah. about it. So, yeah. That was a, an important lesson I learned. So don't, don't hesitate to go and tell people, you know, you're not supposed to be doing that, but do it in a polite civil way and and usually you'll get good results sure but we got lots of topics to talk about we've got the new air public safety summit supersonic target drones the mq28 ghost bat coming to america automated solar power inspection though i have to admit i was more impressed about where the solar panels were than i were was about the inspection i know it was kind of cool yeah we'll get to that. um the Pixie selfie drone bites the dust. Oh, Pixie dust. Good pun. <laughs> wow. Drones in law, rural law enforcement and a UAV that can land on steep roofs, which is kind of a video, which is really kind of humorous, actually. So we better get started, Max. David, let's get started. Well, our first story comes from Aviation Today. Drone developers fly their latest models at the annual UAS Public Safety Summit. Um, New Air, which of course is a Northeast UAS Aerospace Integration Research Alliance, recently hosted the fourth annual UAS Public Safety Summit at their home port of Griffiths International Airport in upstate New York. And there were a number of drone developers who exhibited their aircraft, and some companies even performed flight demonstrations. This was probably a great event to attend. Ken Stewart, who's the CEO of New Air, uh, he had some observations, sort of general observations. He said that drone manufacturers are starting to design aircraft for specific mission types and that government agencies and departments are looking for fleets of drones tailored to specific missions. In other words, people aren't really looking for the one drone that does everything kind of a concept. They're looking for specialty drones. Because of their endurance, he says, e-vertol drones provide the most value for the industry. But multi-rotor drones can provide more precise instruments. But it's interesting, Max, that we have gone sort of from specialized drones to everybody trying to cram everything into one drone 
to back where we realized that jack of all trades probably means master of none, and maybe you need a different type of drone for each specific mission. Exactly. And some of the aircraft exhibitors included Ascent Aerosystems, uh, Skydio, BRINC, Brink, I guess, Sensefly, and Inspired Flight. And Ascent flew its Spirit modular platform, which is a, a really interesting device. I think we talked about this once a long, long time ago. It's a coaxial design with two counter-rotating props, sort of a cylindrical type of uh, design. And one of the hallmarks of the Spirit is that it can fly in inclement weather, hail, sleet, snow, and even winds over 40 miles an hour. So it's a, it's an all-weather kind of a drone. Uh, and in fact, we have a video. It's not from the New Air event. It's a video from Ascent Aerosystems of the Spirit drone, the all-weather drone. We'll have that in the show notes. Skydio also demonstrated the capabilities of their drone platform, which autonomously avoids obstacles. Skydio drones uses AI to create three-dimensional models of its surroundings in real time. And we've talked a lot about them over the last couple of years. Brink is a new company, and they demonstrated their drone, which is ideal for first responders. They flew their lemur drone into a building and through different rooms. Lemur? Really? Lemur? Lemur. It uses a LiDAR-based pilot assistance. But being able to fly into a building and rooms would be definitely a viable thing for first responders. I wonder how well it does in smoke. Ah, well, that could be, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I wonder if uh, the lemur drone, lemur S, actually, I wonder if that stands for something. I wonder if that's an acronym or sort of seems like it must be. Uh, but that has some interesting capabilities, too. Yeah, Brink was there. And Sensefly was, was there also. They brought their three-and-a-half-pound EBTAC TAC. So uh, interesting collection of aircraft here. As I mentioned, David, this, this might have been a, a really good event to attend. Maybe we'll have to look at that for next year. It's, it's been a long time since we, we, we've attended that event. I know. It's been a while since we've been up there. Um, we should correct that. Uh, meantime, in the show notes, you'll find links to uh, these uh, some of these uh, companies that were participating in the event, and you can take a look at their drones. It's an interesting collection of more than just the usual, here's another quadcopter kind of a drone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, our next story sort of caught me off guard, and it's, of course, from thedrive.com. And if you listen to this show, you know that this is probably one of my all-time favorite websites. But... Um, Stealth target drones saw it as QF-16 program winds down. The QF-16 program, it seems like, just started just a couple of years ago, and it looks like um, the Air Force has decided they're done with them. It We flew QF-4s forever, and it sounds like um, we're going to get out of the QF-16 business a lot quicker the Air Force has long used targets for training purposes. And of course, when I first started this show, this is what I originally always thought was a drone, was what the Air Force calls an FSAT, which is a full-scale aerial target. But growing up, to me, drones were normal airplanes painted orange that were beat up and not having pilots in them, and usually used to get shot down by missiles. 
So they're typically used for evaluation of, of air-to-air and surface-to-air missiles, countermeasures, radars, and other sensors, and also simulate various aerial threats during training. The Viper full-scale area target was the latest one. It replaced the um, F-4 Phantom or the QF-4 E's, F's, and J's, and the F-16's A, B, C's, and D's have been used as full-scale aerial targets. However, the Air Force has decided that this is probably not up to snuff and we need something that's more closer to a stealthy near-peer drone. This is where this comes in. Exactly. So the Air Force is looking for something that more closely approximates what what we could expect from Chinese and Russian stealth aircraft, uh, fifth-generation fighters, things like that. And so the Air Force has posted an RFI, a Request for Information, for a supersonic-capable next-generation aerial target, NGAT. And in this RFI, um, they have uh, some things that they're looking for. They're looking for a 120-minute duration for a typical mission, something that's autonomous, can take off, cruise, land on its own, land if it doesn't get shot down, Um, an autonomous uh, aircraft that's capable of a two-minute supersonic burst. And, of course, since it's... (laughs) Since it's a drone target, since it's an aerial target, something that's expendable. So there are a number of possibilities, I guess, for uh, companies that could fulfill some of these requirements. But I think the Air Force is is trying to find out who is interested, who has the capability to satisfy this demand. These have to be a sizable aircraft. You You can't be using a smaller... A smaller drone. So, I mean, full scale means full scale, meaning it's a one-to-one scale aircraft. Um, it, it is just sort of amazing that we are gotten so quickly out of the F-16 business. But it does show how um, our near-peer China and Russia have caught up to our technology. And we um, a fourth-generation fighter or is not capable of simulating a fifth generation fighter especially for surface to air you know that kind of jamming and that kind of stealth and stuff will be important in the future so next generation seems to be the current air force term for everything <laughs> let's go on to the next generation air dominance program or ngad and this is also from the drive so Boeing has been flying the MQ-28 Ghost Bat in Australia, but it looks like the Air Force has decided, our U.S. Air Force has decided the RAF is on the right track and is looking to purchase the MQ-28. And we know it as the loyal wingman that we've talked about so many times, right? This is the aircraft that was developed by Boeing Australia for the Royal Australian Air Force. Yeah, the uh, Secretary of the Air Force, Frank Kendall, had some things to say about this. Talking to my Australian counterparts in general about the NGAD family of systems and how they might be a participate in that program, the MQ-28 could serve as a risk reduction mechanism, meaning that it's so far a pretty steadily proven piece of technology and it's not while advanced, it is not necessarily a high-risk program. 
And there's a lot of interest in working together. So we're going to be sorting out the details over the next few weeks. So our allies in Australia are definitely becoming um, closer knit with us, as well as our other Pacific Rim nations like Japan, to face the China threat. So this technology, I think Boeing knew all along that if they succeeded in Australia, the Air Force would be interested. But um, it's a good co-recognition that our allies produce quality products also. And of course, the first MQ-28 flew in 2021, back in February 2021. And there's a second prototype that's also flying, and a third one is planned to join the test flight program later this year. The RAAF is looking for uh, operational start in 2024, 2025, somewhere in that uh, time frame. So, you know, we're a few years off, but it's coming along. Yeah, it's definitely a, a far mature program than what we have here in the States for a loyal wingman. All right, let's talk about from DroneDJ.com. Percepto automated inspection drones monitor a huge Thai solar farm. Um, Percepto announced that it has completed the proof of concept phase for its automatic inspection system. And they were inspecting a solar farm, but a very interesting solar farm. This is a giant floating solar farm in Thailand. And it's huge. It's a grid of 145,000 solar panels. And together, they float over an area that's equivalent to about 70 soccer fields. Now, I sometimes use Google to make trans, uh, you know, translations from uh, one currency to another or one unit of measure to another. But I don't think there's a conversion from soccer fields to football fields or acres or anything like that. So we'll just have to envision what 70 soccer fields Uh, looks like, but it's big. And this is uh, floating in the water 350 meters away from the nearest bank in the uh, Serindorn Dam Basin. And the idea is that the dam generates electricity at night, hydropower, and the solar panels generate electricity during the day. And humorous, folks. This is a really cool piece of technology, even if the drone story is a little off-site. But um, so Percepto's artificial intelligence enhanced automated UAVs flew regular inspection flights, used the company's autonomous inspection and monitoring software package, and identified panels that needed maintenance or repair. It's a big area to cover. And, you know, if you've got to go out on a boat to look at these solar panels, you want to, why waste time, you know? Pick the ones that you got to fix right away and, and then start paddling your canoe. Right. If you were going to manually inspect 145,000 solar panels, you'd need a, you know, a small army of inspectors that would probably have to be doing that continuously. And so uh, to me, this is a, a great application. It's sort of reminiscent of precision agriculture or something where you know, you, you've got a, a drone or, or a series of drones flying over fields of crops. Uh, in this case, uh, it's, you know, it's not crops, it's solar panels, but perfect application, I think. Yeah, so um, the Percepto platform can collect and analyze data, assist risk, minimize downtime, and reduce operational costs. 
The $34 million floating solar power field was connected to Thailand's electrical grid in October. This is, I'm sorry, but this is really, really cool. <laughs> you like this, do you? I do. It's not often, you know, and, and definitely check the show notes and check out the article because you got to see this large lake with these giant floating panels on it. It's really kind of science fiction-y. Percepto has offices in the U.S. and Israel, and kind of their thing is a drone-in-a-box solution for autonomous inspection. That's what they're uh, uh, focused on, their core competency, I guess. So, uh, yeah, take a look. Remember the little pixie selfie drone? A cute little thing. For It was a very bright little yellow quadcopter that was going to change the world of selfies. Well, I think the world of selfies didn't need the poor little pixie drone. Yeah, it's manufactured by Snap, and they're slowing down the project. They say that uh, they're not going to produce anymore. They're just going to sell from the existing inventory, which is pretty limited. And it seems that Snap may be shifting focus to other areas, maybe notably uh, the augmented reality business. But the Snap drone, you know, for a, a tiny a selfie drone like this, it's a little bit pricey compared to the competition. I think they they were going for about $250. And there are other options out there, very, very similar. Maybe you'd even say copycats uh, that can be had for less than that. So uh, Snap is uh, deciding to move on from the Pixie. So if you have one of these things, well, maybe it's a, I don't know, you think it's a collector's item? I I don't know. I, maybe we 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 should get one for the museum. There you go. So I'll, I'll have to write Snap, and we we need a pixie for the museum. All right. Drones that uh, drones that never really amounted to much. So why drones will maybe the best big thing in fighting rural crime? Well, eyes in the sky. Most local police and fire departments um, don't have the resources to have some sort of aerial system, but drones might be a way to add an additional set of eyes in the sky. And the article, which is in policeone.com, points out that rural law enforcement agencies are increasingly seeing drones being used for criminal activity, right? We see criminals using narco drones along the southern border for surveillance purposes, uh, we've seen cases where professional thieves are using drones to case airfields and barnyards. It turns out that agricultural theft is uh, in the category of a high-dollar, low-risk crime. We've seen contraband flown into prisons. Those are typically located in rural areas. And it's not just in the U.S. Rural crime with drones is taking place in other countries as well. So... Law enforcement is trying to respond to this. And as an example of that, a nonprofit organization was formed in 2020, the South Carolina Public Safety Drone Pilot Association. So uh, that's, that's one response to this. And the other, small, other things were um, small departments can use drones. And what can they use them for? They can use them to document crime and accident scenes. Uh, provide extra eyes on standoffs and barricades, and assist with search and rescue. And you can do it with a minimum amount of cost. 
and a little bit of training. I think that most police forces or local police forces can afford the cost of, may I say, a phantom. And um, it probably could be a force multiplier for them. Yeah. So it's uh, an article that really has kind of two two themes to it. One is the increasing use of drones in rural environments and also that rural law enforcement has the opportunity to use drones as an effective uh, tool to try to uh, you know counter crime in rural areas. So that's from Police One. Uh, they call themselves an online resource for law enforcement. It's, probably, it's one of those sites where those of us not in law enforcement probably have never heard of it, and probably those who are in law enforcement are maybe very familiar with the website. Very interesting article. Um, yeah, and again, the agricultural theft was sort of surprising to me. So it was it was interesting. You know, the bad guys are always up one up on the good guys on using drones for new and stuff. Well, I like this next one, or more to the point, I just like the videos, which is new drones can safely land on steep roofs. I hadn't thought about this being a problem, but um, clearly this company has discovered a way to prevent it from being a problem by spring-loading landing gear. Yeah, the typical quadcopter, let's say, has probably plastic or composite landing rods or skids or something, but they're stiff. And so if you try to land it on a pitched roof, the result is kind of comical. You end up with a bouncing, a bouncing, right, um, a bouncing drone. There's no rebound control. So they bounce off the roof. So these drones here have adaptive friction shock absorbers, and they also use reverse thrust. So the legs can actually compress as the drone impacts the roof, and they dissipate energy through friction. Also, a small DC motor actually controls the friction in each leg by compressing discs in the leg. You can see in the, in the video how that, how that works. And it will also use reverse thrust, that's applied on contact, which increases friction and prevents the drone from, from flipping when it hits the roof. If you've ever seen an aircraft carrier or a aircraft that lands on an aircraft carrier, uh, it's pretty much the same concept. You know, the, the landing gear on like an F-18, um, when it's on final approach, is hanging straight down. And as it hits it bends backwards and and uh, takes that pressure right mm-hmm. to force it to stick to the ground. This is pretty neat technology, and it, it is kind of impressive that it just sort of collapses and stops. It is kind of a controlled crash, but it looks like it's a very effective way to land your target on a sloped roof. And they've also tested this on rough angled terrain as well. So it's not just limited to usefulness on a, on a pitched roof. But all this is described in a paper. It's published in IEEE Robotics and Automation Letters. And uh, as we mentioned, we've got a, a video that we'll put right in the show notes so you can kind of take a look at what this, uh, what this is doing, how it works. And they also have some, some shots of drones without this attempting to land on a 
<laughs> on an angle surface. Which is equally humorous. Which is very good. Yeah, yeah. Well, Max, a couple weeks ago, you didn't believe a story that was in our news line, and you set out a call maybe someone knows. Right, I was skeptical. You were skeptical. And our friend Bill, who was the former head historian at NASA, decided to email us and tell us it's absolutely true. Yeah, and actually it, it was in our Slack uh, listener team that he popped us. This is an example of, we mentioned our Slack listener team, of course, and this is an example of the interaction that we get in that group. And Bill uh, did post an article from, from NASA that uh, described how the Mars sample return campaign, as was reported, will no longer include the sample fetch rover or an associated second lander. But... The sample retrieval lander will, in fact, include two sample recovery helicopters based on the design of the Ingenuity helicopter. And the helicopters will also have a secondary capability to retrieve samples cached on the surface of Mars. So very cool. Now, this doesn't happen right away. So you know that the, uh, our, you know, our rover on Mars has been collecting samples and... Uh, with the idea that they eventually be returned to Earth. So the timeline, uh, we, we have to be patient, I guess. Planned launch dates for the Earth return orbiter and the sample retrieval lander are for fall of 2027 and summer of 2028, uh, respectively. And the samples are expected to arrive on Earth in 2033. <laughs> so... I'll have to do some math here to see if I think I might be alive then, but there's a good pop- probability that I may miss the uh, return samples of uh, of it's, Mars material. It's, it's 11 years. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully. You'll still be podcasting. Oh, my God. I just, I'll just be happy if I'm still alive. <laughs> I love podcasting. <laughs> um, so thank you, Bill, our best friend from NASA. Again, another reason to join our Slack listener team, and you do that by sending us an email to feedback at the uavdigest.com, and we'll send you a link, and you get to pick up on all these other stories that we don't get to touch base on, but we get from um, lots of our listeners. So I guess, Max, we should wrap up this week. What do you think? All right. Yes, let's wrap it up. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of the UAV Digest, episode 411. And again, you can find the show notes at the UAVdigest.com. And of course, you can find us on social media. Reach out to Max and I on LinkedIn. We're always looking for um, connections there. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook. And of course, um, you can find us every Wednesday on the Airplane Geeks podcast. So with that, I'm going to say this is David in Delaware. And Max in Connecticut. Thanks for listening.